Today, uh, we're finishing this series, Climbing Higher, and the subtitle of this series is The Beatitudes Make for a Better World. And as we look at all these Beatitudes individually, I think all of them have different elements that could build a better world if we took Jesus seriously. Well, this has been a part of a trio of sermon series that goes all the way back to the beginning of May. So uh, thank you for your perseverance with me as we've been talking about deeper, wider, and higher. And just by way of reminder, these three different elements have allowed us to kind of look at different things in different ways. We have said uh, that we dive deeper into stories because they inform us. We explore wider with questions because they enlarge us. And we climb higher with the Beatitudes because they enable human flourishing. And so we're putting a wrap not just on this last series, but really the whole trio of sermon series that we have used. And what we are doing is looking at this Beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I mentioned after I read a passage of Scripture a moment ago, if Jesus is jumping the shark on this. Now, has anybody heard of that idiom before? Have you? Okay. Does anyone know where it comes from? Okay, Pete? Yeah, go ahead. That's right. He hit it. He, he hit it. This phrase is actually talking about something getting to the point of believability. Okay? And it does come from an episode back in 1977 when Arthur Fonzarelli of Happy Days is on water skis and he actually jumps a shark. Well, there was a radio personality back in 1985 by the name of John Hine that used that phrase of jumping the shark as kind of an idiom for something crossing the point of believability. So how this pertains to the Beatitudes is all of these previous Beatitudes, seven Beatitudes, yeah, I can see that, I can see that. But when you get to this last one, blessed are those who are persecuted, all of a sudden we begin to ask ourselves, is that really true? How can that possibly be true that a person can be blessed if they are insulted, ridiculed, persecuted in some way? Is Jesus really being serious here when he asks us to believe indeed that we are blessed if people have pushback on us for some of the things that we might say? And so, I think in order to understand this particular beatitude, we need to remember a couple of things. So remember I mentioned the first four beatitudes talk about people that are part of a plight uh, in their society where they are either being overlooked or they are being taken advantage of. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are mournful, so on. But the last four beatitudes talk about how we engage in such a way, how we show up in the world in such a way that we are able to be a blessing to those first four 
groups that are mentioned at the beginning of the Beatitudes. Well, if you begin to live out the Beatitudes, what you're going to find is that at some point, people that love the status quo and don't want to see change will push back on that. And when they push back on that, then those that are advocating for a better way of life, a better world to live in, they are the ones that usually experience some type of ridicule, some type of criticism. And what we find is this idea of Jesus can't be taken seriously here. Why would you put yourself in a position where you could be mocked, ridiculed, manipulated, all of those type of things? Um, uh, we can't take Jesus seriously here. Well, to be blessed, I think, is part of the confusion. When we think of blessing, we relate it to happiness. That is, happy are those who mourn, huh? Happy are those who are persecuted. No, we said from the beginning this idea of blessing is the idea of the promise of God that God is with us. God is for us. God is with us no matter what the circumstances are in life. And it means that God is with us even when He appears to be silent or absent. And I think one of the things that happens is that we have to then actually walk through tunnels of darkness at times before we see the light. And we need to keep this in mind when we're looking at this last beatitude. There are times in our lives where we feel like we're on an island, right? That we're all alone. That everybody else is going downstream, but we are kind of sitting on an island and it's us against the world. And even that idiom uh, makes its way into a variety of different elements of life. So for many years we have used Cleveland against the world, right? In sports, right? It's Cleveland against the world. Well, sometimes what happens in life is we get to a point where we don't know where to turn or what to do, and we get this close, this close to giving up. And I think what is happening in this last beatitude is the idea that there is something good that can come out of even people that push back on us because the message that we are sharing might be prophetic in some way. Let me put this up. What does it mean to be prophetic? Well, one of the things that we get confused about, when we hear about the prophets of the Old Testament, usually we think of a prophet somehow kind of foretelling the future. And I think that's a misnomer. A prophet is one who speaks forth truth. A prophet is often a person that holds those that are in power, whether a king or in the case of Jeremiah 20, a priest, holding them accountable for the way they are treating other people. And as a result of that, people uh, will push back on prophets. And many of the prophets in the Old Testament uh, were not only arrested, some of them were tortured, and some of them were killed. But Jesus is telling us in the Beatitudes that why should we expect a different type of treatment if at times we push back on what is often the status quo, 
what people actually don't want to change. So Jesus is not saying here to go out and to look for trouble. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is that there are times in life where the status quo is not good enough. And you have to speak up and say something because there are people either being left behind or there are people that are being taken advantage of, or there are people that are being used because the status quo is working for some people, but not all people. Does that make sense? And so when we speak up and say something about that, there's this natural progression that takes place. And the natural progression is when you begin to push back on certain things, you will find that there will be people that will try to shut you up right? There will be people that will either try to manipulate you or somehow mock you or somehow uh, criticize you where you go, ooh, why did I open my mouth? Have, have, have you felt that way sometimes? There have been times where we have opened our mouth and said something and it's backfired. And as a result, we go, why did I say anything, right? Why did I open my big mouth, right? <laughs> I think we've all been in those situations. But to be prophetic is not really foretelling the future. It's a call. It's basically a call for all people to include all people. In other words, a call for all people, not just some people, to make life flourish is the call of Jesus in so many of his teachings. You know, one of the things that's interesting, you can see it on the screen here, we're all familiar with Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, right? Ebenezer Scrooge. We also wrote a book called A Tale of Two Cities as well. He was uh, a very skilled writer. And one time he was uh, invited to speak at Georgetown in Washington, D.C., and when he did so, he said that Washington, D.C. is the city with magnificent intentions. Now, that's kind of a backhanded way of saying, oh, they're, they're full of idealism, but they never act on them. They never actually change anything. And it's kind of a backhanded way of criticizing the gaping hole that is often left because people will talk about good intentions, but they never act upon those intentions. And so, Charles Dickens, as you can see here, is talking about how often in this world those that are in power get life to work for them, and they'll talk idealistically about including other people that are on the outside, but they never actually do anything about it to include them, to bless them. And so, here is this idea, the beatitude that we're talking about is looking at the world and seeing that there are so many things in the world that don't have to be the way they are. And if we call that out, if we say something about it, then there will be pushback. And that pushback can be a variety of different things. You see, prophetic people are not just Christians. It can be Christians, atheists, Buddhists, Muslims, Jewish or Hindu. Any type of 
connection to a religion that pushes back on the status quo will often be criticized and it will often be manipulated to silence that group. Now here's the danger though. I don't care if it's Christianity or any other world religion, it's easy if you've been pushed back enough to get a persecution complex, you know, and it's often thought that I'm being persecuted when in actuality I'm not being persecuted, that it's I'm not being pushed back on for the right reasons. Let me show you what I mean. <clears throat> oh, I put a quote up here from Charles Dickens. Uh, this is the opening line of a, a tale of two cities. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times, it was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness, it was the epic of belief, it was the epic of incredulity, it was the season of light, it was the season of darkness, it was the spring of hope, and it was the winter of despair. That famous opening is characteristic, I think, of the world that we live in. At any given time, there's these things, hope and despair, all at the same time. It just kind of depends upon where you're looking in the world to determine who's experiencing what. The key question on this beatitude is this, what does it mean to be persecuted? What does it mean to be persecuted? Persecution has a root word in Greek which has the idea of being pursued. It doesn't necessarily mean violence, but it can include violence. It means that there is a group that moves rapidly and decisively towards someone else. And sometimes that can be harassment. Sometimes that can be ridicule. So persecution can reach violent proportions and even martyrdom, as we find in the Old Testament prophets, but that doesn't always mean that. Sometimes persecution can look like misrepresentation. Sometimes persecution can look like maligning of character. Sometimes persecution can be the manipulation of public opinion. And sometimes persecution can lead to martyrdom, or another word for that is murder. Jesus is the perfect example of experience all those. There was a group known as the Pharisees, very religious people that wanted to keep the status quo, right? They had the power, they had the privilege, they had the, the resources, they had the money. And Jesus comes along and begins to bring in people like uh, prostitutes and tax collectors and other people that these Pharisees didn't want any of these people to have a share in the religious world that they were in control of. And so what happens is Jesus begins to speak these things, and so the Pharisees, if you look closely in the Gospels, will often misrepresent Jesus, will malign his character, they will manipulate public opinion about Jesus, and then finally they see him as such a threat to their position and their power that they want him arrested. And when he is taken before Pontius Pilate, and the Roman Empire sees him as a potential threat to their own system of status quo, they put him to death. There's an important distinction here that I think you need to keep in mind. And the important distinction is 
Jesus is not talking in this beatitude about being held accountable. So there are some people that are pushed back on in life, not because they're speaking forth truth or not because they're advocating for someone who can't advocate for themselves. They're being pushed back upon because they're jerks, because the way they treat other people it brings about such an ill feeling that people push back on it. Jesus is not talking here about being held accountable for the way you treat other people. It is not persecution if you are mad that you're not getting your own way. Let me say that again. That's not persecution, that you're mad that you're not getting your own way. That doesn't count. You're not being persecuted if the world around you is changing, becoming more pluralistic, but you choose not to do that. That's not persecution. It is not persecution if, by chance, that you're learning that other people have a, a um, seat at the table and their voice should be heard. A lot of times the world moves on and they're allowed to move on. But sometimes Christians then will take that as persecution, and it's not. Sometimes it feels like persecution when we are no longer in control and when other people find their voice. And that's what I think you hear a lot of out of Christianity a lot of times, that there are groups of people who have held power for a long period of time, and they want to silence anyone who's calling forth equilibrium. Now, I'm specifically talking about white Christians in particular. White Christians find a lot of things that are being said for equality and respect and human rights to be a threat to what position they've held or power they've held for a long period of time. They don't want the world to move on. They don't want the world to become better because they are the ones that are sitting at the top of it. So, don't be fooled about false persecution. Rather, understand that persecution is when you call out something that is true, whether it comes out of our faith system or whether it comes out of just basic things like human rights. When you call for equality and fairness, sometimes people will use that as a reason to jump on you and to wrestle you to the ground because they have a vested interest in it. When we talk about politics, this gets in the way a lot. We're being persecuted, our voice isn't being heard, that type of thing. And sometimes what happens is things get so bad it turns to violence. So. This year is going to be very instrumental because the January 6th attack on the Capitol is going to be part of this conversation into the new year. And what we're going to find is uh, both sides are either going to try to justify it or condemn it. And what's going to happen is the failure to recognize. Both sides need to stand up and say, violence is never justified. Violence is never justified. No matter 
what position you take. And what we find is that sometimes that's our default setting, isn't it? To turn to violence as a way of powering up and getting our own way. And both sides, red and blue, conservative and liberal, are guilty of this. And so what we need to understand is the persecuted that Jesus is talking about are those people who have been plowed under by those in power. Those are the ones who have had rights taken away. This might include the right to exist. It might include the right to vote. It might include the right to have fair housing or educational opportunities or affordable health care. The list could go on. So who then are the persecuted? Well, I think it's important to understand usually the people that are persecuted are the ones that are being pushed back, who are pushing back on the status quo that don't want things to change. And if we relegate our faith simply to afterlife, that is, Jesus only wants to make sure we get into heaven after we pass away, then we are missing a key element of why he was killed. And that is his teaching pushed back on the status quo. You are not being persecuted for your theology. You are being persecuted when you push back on systems of power and you advocate for equality and fairness and human rights. And I think that's important for us to understand that when people like Peter and James and John and Andrew and the other disciples go out and they continue to carry on the message of Jesus, often many of them were persecuted and some of them, most of them actually, were martyred because there were people that didn't want to hear it, people that wanted to plug their ears. So as long as we believe in justice, equality, and a voice at the table, and safety from violence, then we're going to get pushed back on. But we got to be careful because often what happens is we develop, and I'm including everyone here, a mental malware. So if the way we look at the world is our software in our brain, often what happens, media and personalities implant malware for us to believe certain things that if we do a little bit of digging, we understand that it has been shaded, it has been manipulated or exaggerated in some way. And maybe it's warped in some way and that shapes our fanaticism about certain things. That's not what we need to do. What we need to do is understand that there's more going on than apparent doctrinal differences or religious differences. It always comes back to pinning a lot of things that are happening in the world on, oh, that's an evil religion that evil people hold. If you get to understand people on the ground, if you understand that people in Palestine right now, even though they're Muslim, are concerned about their children and about safety and about food, these are all common things that we share as human beings. And yet a lot of times this mental malware that we hear so often shapes how we look at certain groups of people. It shapes how we look at immigrants. It shapes how we look at uh, people of other religions. And 
I think it's important to understand that Jesus was not persecuted for the miracles that he did, healing people. He wasn't persecuted because of his teachings about the afterlife and the hope that we have for resurrection in the next life. Jesus resisted dehumanization, and he fought for those that were being dehumanized, and that is what eventually got him arrested, and that is what eventually got him killed. There was a small group of people that developed after his death and resurrection that eventually became known as the church that formed small communities. And they invited people in and they said those that are being dehumanized by the Roman Empire or by the religious establishment, come in here, you're welcome here. There is no Jew or Greek. There is no male or female. There is no rich or poor. There is no black or white, all are welcome under the umbrella of God's grace in the person of Jesus Christ. But when you speak up and say things like that, there will be people that will tell you, shut up, shut up. It's an unfortunate thing. The world could be in a much better place if we took the teachings of Jesus seriously, if we looked upon other people as human beings, if we humanized people and helped people rather than criticizing them, manipulating them. I want to show you a statistic that you're not going to believe. Often prophets pay the price. Often prophets pay the price. Now look here. Most of the prophets were killed in the Old Testament for their call to justice and shalom. It's usually only after prophets are killed that they are then exalted. I want you to notice the statistic behind me here. Dr. Martin Luther King, there's a holiday that's coming up in a couple of weeks, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Did you know that back in 1966, when he was speaking on behalf of civil rights, when he was calling for equality and fairness, his approval rating was only 33% in the American population. 33%. He will be assassinated. And the most recent poll that, um, about a viewpoint on Dr. Martin Luther King, as of 2021, his approval rating amongst the American population was at 90%. 33% back in the 60s to 90% here in 2021. Well, what happened? Well, it, what happened is what often happens to people who stand up and, and take a stand for something. It's after their death and after the slow progress of change that they begin to be elevated and respected for the message that they were premature carrying out. So now, all these years later, some of the things that Dr. Martin Luther King said in his letters from the Birmingham jail or his uh, sermons, all of these things, we go, well, of course what he's saying is true. Of course, of course. How could we miss that, right? But we're looking at this all these decades later rather than in the moment. 
so he walks across the bridge in protest, a peaceful protest of the racism in our country, and what is he met with? He's met with National Guardsmen and water hoses that are turned upon those that are marching with him, one of which is John Lewis, who recently passed away. That became uh, one of uh, the political leaders in our country. Here's my point. Prophets always get pushed back on in the moment. It's only later that people, through the slow process of transformation, begin to open their eyes and see the validity of their message. Now here we are, Dr. Martin Luther King has his own holiday. And I would bet he has a street named after him in all the major cities in the country, right? Practically in every major city there's a Dr. Martin Luther King Boulevard or Drive or something like that. So I want to come back to the initial question that I gave you. Did Jesus jump the shark? Is what he's saying unbelievable, that it's so extreme that we can't take him seriously? Well, I think he's very serious, but you have to keep it in perspective that these type of changes and progress that he is calling for, these type of things take years often before things substantially change. But in the end, the changes that are made, blessed are those who are persecuted. Let me read it for you again. He goes on, blessed are, the, are, are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on and says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What he is talking about is, this has always been the case. Those who have had the courage to speak up will always be maligned. Now, again, Jesus is not romanticizing persecution. He's not romanticizing martyrdom. And neither is he telling us to poke the bear. What he is saying is those that stand up for righteousness will often be pushed back on, and when that happens, we need to understand that we have to have the long view, all right? We need to have the long perspective. Things, <coughs> excuse me, do not change overnight. So here's what I'd like to suggest. I have two more slides. Can you go get Corey, and we'll close with a song. Here's a few uh, critical questions uh, to consider. Who and what am I colluding with? We all have our favorites, but we need to be careful about who our heroes are. Number two, what am I resisting? What do I see in society that's wrong? Where does my voice need to be heard on some of these things that will bring glory to God and betterment for human experience? Number three, are there situations in life where I am being forced to go with the flow? And the answer to that is if we look closely, yes, a lot of times, whether it's at work, whether it's within our political system, whether it's by the news media, whatever it is, we're being forced to go with the status quo. We're forced to go with the flow. Number four, what happens if I say no to that? If I say no to that, 
Am I going to be pushed back on? If I say no to that, am I going to experience some type of persecution? Uh, it might not cost me my life, but it might cost me my reputation, right? might cost me my self-esteem, that type of thing. And finally, number five, for whom am I speaking out? As you know, Shade Tree Community Church was started seven years ago to speak out on behalf of the LGBTQ community because there are few churches that bring them into the circle. There are few churches that bring them under the tree of grace and shalom. And no matter how big or small we are, we want this to be a safe place. We want this to be a place where all people are included. So, here are the beauty of the Beatitudes as we wrap it up. Number one, it reminds us of our shared humanity. As Carl Sagan said, we're on a small, pale, blue dot, right? And we want to kill each other on this small, little thing in the universe. We're all human. And we have to treat each other as human beings. Number two, it exposes the lies about division, racism, hatred, etc. because the Beatitudes call for us to understand both those that are on the margins and those that come as a blessing to those on the margins. Number three, it looks out for the common good. What is the common good? I can't have the world my way only. We have to share the planet. Number four, it imagines a better way that makes everything better for everyone. People can't be left out. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one, John Lennon sung, right? Well, all these years later, right? His message is still slowly being absorbed that there is a better way. And finally, it humanizes everyone and demonizes no one. And if we can get to that point, Anything that we're pushed back on should be for legitimate reasons, not just because we're being jerks or closed-minded or bigoted, right? These are the things that are most important, I think, as we move ahead into a brand new year. None of us know what's going to happen this coming year, but what we do know is God goes with us because here's the promise. The kingdom of God belongs to all you and me. And having said that, let's close with this song that we introduced all those many weeks ago when we began the Beatitudes, the kingdom is yours, stand, and Emma and, uh, and Corey are going to lead us.